Chapter Ten of the Fathers of Confederation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Fathers of Confederation, a Chronicle of the Birth of the Dominion, by A. H. U. Cahoon. Chapter Ten. THE BATTLE OF UNION At the dawn of 1866, the desperate plight of the cause of Union called for skillful generalship in four different arenas of political action. In any one of them a false move would have been fatal to success, and there was always the danger that, on so extended a front, the advocates of Union might be fighting at cross-purposes, and so inflicting injury on each other instead of upon the enemy. It was necessary that the imperial influence should be exerted as far as the issues at stake warranted its employment. Canada, the object of suspicion, must march warily to avoid rousing the hostile elements elsewhere. The Unionists of New Brunswick should be given time to recover their position, while those of Nova Scotia should stand ready for instant cooperation. The judicious but firm attitude of the imperial authorities was a material factor in the situation. From 1862 onwards there was no mistaking the policy of Downing Street, as expressed by the Duke of Newcastle in that year to the Governor of Nova Scotia. Colonial secretaries came and went, and the complexion of British ministries changed, but the principle of union stood approved. Any proposals, however, must emanate from the colonies themselves, and when an agreement, in whole or in part, should be reached, the proper procedure was indicated. The most satisfactory mode, said the dispatch of 1862, of testing the opinion of the people of British North America, would probably be by means of resolution or address proposed in legislatures of each province by its own government. This course all the governments had kept in mind, with the additional safeguard that the ministers of the day had associated with themselves the leaders of the parliamentary oppositions. Nothing could have savoured less of partisanship than the Quebec Conference, and Mr. Cardwell, the colonial secretary, had acknowledged the resolutions of that body in handsome terms. The home authorities faced the difficulties with a statesmanlike front. They had no disposition to dictate, but once assured that a substantial majority in each consenting province supported the scheme, it was their duty to speak plainly, no matter how vehemently a section of opinion in england or in the provinces protested they held the opinion that since the provinces desired to remain within the empire they must combine all the grounds for this belief could not be publicly stated it was one of those exceptional occasions when downing street by reason of its superior insight into foreign affairs and by full comprehension of the danger then threatening knew better than the man on the spot. The colonial opposition might be sincere and patriotic, but it was wrong. Heed could not be paid to the agitations in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, because they were founded upon narrow conceptions of statesmanship and erroneous information. 
another difficulty with which british governments whether liberal or tory had to contend was the separatist doctrine known as that of the manchester school when george brown visited england in eighteen sixty four he was startled into communicating with john a macdonald in these terms i am much concerned to observe and i write it to you as a thing that must seriously be considered by all men taking a lead hereafter in canadian public matters that there is a manifest desire in almost every quarter that ere long the british american colonies should shift for themselves and in some quarters evident regret that we did not declare at once for independence i am very sorry to observe this but it arises i hope from the fear of invasion of canada by the united states and will soon pass away with the cause that excites it the feeling did pass away in time the responsible statesmen of that period were forced to go steadily forward and ignore it just as they refused to be dominated by appeals from colonial reactionaries who abhorred change and who honestly believed that in so doing they exhibited the best form of attachment to the empire why mr arthur gordon the lieutenant governor of new brunswick was at first opposed to the confederation when his ministers were in favor of it is not quite clear Note gordon's dispatches to the colonial secretary indicate that from the first he distrusted the quebec scheme and that the overthrow of his ministers owing to it occasioned him no great grief james hannay the historian attributes his conduct to chagrin at the pushing aside of maritime union as he had hoped to be the first governor of the smaller union End note however this may be his punishment was not long in coming and if he escaped from the storm without loss of honor he certainly suffered indignity and comfort the new ministry which took office in new brunswick was formed by a j smith who afterwards as sir albert smith had a useful career in the dominion parliament his colleagues had taken a prominent part in the agitation against confederation but it appears that they had no very settled convictions on this question and that they differed on many others at any rate dissension soon broke out among them the colonial secretary pressed upon the province the desirability of the union in terms described as earnest and friendly suggestions and which left no doubt as to the wishes of the home government you will express said the colonial secretary to the lieutenant-governor the strong and deliberate opinion of her majesty's government that it is an object much to be desired that all the british north american colonies should agree to unite in one government in stating the reasons for this opinion the dispatch continued looking to the determination which this country has ever exhibited to regard the defense of the colonies as a matter of imperial concern the colonies must recognize a right and even acknowledge an obligation incumbent on the home government to urge with earnestness and just authority the measures which they consider to be most expedient on the part of the colonies with a view to their own defence the new brunswick frontier as well as canada was disturbed by the threatened finian invasion so that the question of defence was apposite and of vital importance presently a change of sentiment began to show itself in the province 
and the shaky cabinet began to totter from resignations and disagreements. By-elections followed, and supporters of Federation were returned. The legislature met early in March. In the lieutenant governor's speech from the throne, a reference to the colonial secretary's dispatch implied that Gordon had changed his views and was now favorable to Union. He afterwards explained that the first minister and several of his colleagues had privately intimated to him their concurrence, but felt unable at the time to explain their altered attitude to the legislature. The next step involved proceedings still more unusual, if not actually unconstitutional. The address of the Legislative Council, in reply to the speech from the throne, contained a vigorous endorsement of Union, and the Lieutenant Governor accepted it without consulting his advisers, and in language which left them no course but to resign. A new ministry was formed on the 18th of April, and the House was dissolved. The ensuing elections resulted in a complete victory for Federation. On the 21st of June the legislature met, fresh from the people, and adopted by a vote of thirty to eight, a resolution appointing delegates to arrange with the imperial authorities a scheme of union that would secure the just rights and interests of New Brunswick. The battle was won. Meanwhile, like the mariner who keeps a vigilant eye upon the weather, the Tupper government in Nova Scotia observed the proceedings in New Brunswick with a view to action at the proper moment. The agitation throughout the province had not affected the position of parties in the legislature which met in February. The government continued to treat federation as a non-contentious subject. No reference to it was made in the governor's speech, and the legislature occupied itself with other business. The agitation in the country, with Howe leading it, and William Annand, member for East Halifax and editor of the Chronicle, as his chief associate, went on. Then the debacle of the anti-Confederate party in New Brunswick began to attract attention, and give rise to speculations on what would be the action of the Tupper government. This was soon to be disclosed. In April, a few days before the fall of the Smith Ministry in New Brunswick, William Miller, member for Richmond, made a speech in the House, which was destined to produce a momentous effect. His proposal was to appoint delegates to frame a scheme in consultation with the imperial authorities, and thus ignore the Quebec resolutions. To these resolutions Miller had been strongly opposed, he had borne a leading part with Howe and Anand in the agitation, although he was always favorable to Union in the abstract, and careful on all occasions to say so. Now, however, his speech provided a means of enabling Nova Scotia to enter the Union with the consent of the legislature, and Tupper was quick to seize the opportunity by putting it in the form of a motion before the House. An extremely bitter debate followed vigorous epithets were exchanged with much freedom, and Tupper's condemnation of Joseph Howe omitted nothing essential to the record. But at length, at midnight on the 10th of April, the legislature, by a vote of 31 to 19, adopted the motion which cleared the way for bringing Nova Scotia into the Dominion. Miller's late allies never forgave his action on this occasion. 
he was accused of having been bribed to desert them. When he was appointed to the Senate in 1867, the charge was repeated, and many years afterwards was revived in an offensive form. Finally, Miller entered suit for libel against the Halifax Chronicle, and in the witness-box Sir Charles Tupper bore testimony to the propriety of Miller's conduct in 1866. Notwithstanding the hostility between Howe and Tupper, they afterwards resumed friendly relations, and sat comfortably together in the Dominion cabinet. In politics, hard words can be soon forgotten. The doughty Tupper had won his province for the Union, and could afford to forget. The tactics pursued in Canada during these exciting months in the maritime provinces were those defined by a great historian, in dealing with a different convulsion, as masterly inactivity. In that memorable speech of years afterwards, when MacDonald, about to be overwhelmed by the Pacific Railway charges, appealed to his countrymen, in words that came straight from the heart, he declared, I have fought the battle of Union. The events of 1866 are the key to this utterance. Parliament was not summoned until June, and meanwhile ministers said nothing. That this line of policy was deliberate is set forth in a private letter from MacDonald to Tilly. Had we met early in the year and before your elections, the greatest embarrassment and your probable defeat at the polls would have ensued. We should have been pressed by the opposition to declare whether we adhered to the Quebec resolutions or not. Had we answered in the affirmative, you would have been defeated, as you were never in a position to go to the polls on those resolutions. Had we replied in the negative, and stated that it was an open question, and that the resolutions were liable to alteration, Lower Canada would have arisen as one man, and good-bye to Federation. Thus was the situation saved, and although the delegates from the maritime provinces were obliged to wait in London for some months for their Canadian colleagues, owing to the Fenian invasion of Canada, and to a change of ministry in England, the body of delegates assembled in December at the Westminster Palace Hotel in London, sat down to frame the details of the bill for the union of british north america end of chapter 10